So we are in part four of a series on God. Who is God? What is God like? And obviously, I'm the most qualified person to tell anyone what God is like. <laughs> it's, it's, the Lord led me to do this series. It's been such a journey, such an undertaking to look at who is God? Who is God? A.W. Tozer, I share this quote each week, so don't, don't get sick of it. It's intentional. I'm sharing it every week. What a person thinks about God... Or what comes to mind when a person thinks about God is the most important thing about that person. From the thoughts that people have when they think about God, you can determine with some degree of certainty the spiritual future of that person. So how you view God makes all the difference in your life. This is a very important concept. We're going to go into Luke 15. We're going to read the first section of Luke 15. Uh, Luke 15, 1 through... 11. So if you want a Bible, slip your hand in the air, and an usher will bring you one. Luke 15, 1 to 11. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathered around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law were muttering, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Then Jesus told them this parable. Remember, this parable Jesus is about to tell is in direct response to their comment, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them, that they were disdainfully sharing. Jesus told them this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I found my lost sheep. I tell you in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. What you need to understand, first and foremost, is this categorization that the Pharisees are doing is faulty. They're saying, Look, all these sinners and tax collectors are gathering around Jesus. This man welcomes sinners. In other words, they're not placing themselves in that category of being sinners. They have this false dichotomy of like sinners and then not sinners. And Jesus tells them a parable to set them straight. He tells a parable about a shepherd, but it's an unusual shepherd. This is a shepherd who leaves 99 sheep in the field to go after one that's lost. And he's saying to them, I have come for the lost ones. And when I find that sheep, heaven rejoices, I rejoice. That's my heart. That's God's heart through Jesus. That is the kind of God he is. So they say, you eat with tax collectors and sinners. Jesus says, that's right. That's right, for that's why I came. I came for the lost. Not the people that consider themselves to be found. I put that in in quotes here, uh, because Jesus is definitely being cheeky. He says, I tell you in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. Listen, there's no one righteous, not even one. These religious folks, they were under the impression that they were in the in crowd, and they had the ability to say, not that one, not that one, not that one. And Jesus says, you've missed the point. Other parts of the New Testament, Jesus says, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call righteous people, but sinners to repentance. The heart posture of realizing that you need Jesus determines your reception uh, to to God. God came 
for all people who are sinners, who is everybody. The second parable in verse 8, or suppose a woman has set ten silver coins and loses one. Doesn't she light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I found my lost coin. In the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Here again we see the heart of the Father. He came for all of us. And really, our realization of our need from him determines our reception uh, into his presence. God is kind, drawing all people to himself. Will we receive it, or will we be those people who do not need to repent in that, in that category? That's Luke 15, 1 through 11. I think the sweet spot in any relationship is when you come to actually know who someone essentially is in their being. All of us, until we really come to know who someone is in the course of relationship, are essentially looking at different things they do and determining, making judgments about what kind of person they are. So, you know, if you're a glasses-half-empty kind of person, you always assume that the other person is being selfish, no matter what gesture they, gesture they do, right? You assume they're out for personal gain of some kind. You're watching them carefully in some ways. Uh, you are trying to figure out, what kind of a person are they? Are they really this nice? Are they really this loving, really this giving? Or are they, you know, really out for themselves? We make these kinds of judgments. If you're a glasses-half-full kind of person, you might be more likely to give someone the benefit of the doubt, and over time, as you're gathering evidence, you'll come to know who the person is. But I think the sweet spot in any relationship is when the evidence of who a person is shows you what kind of person they are, and then you say, oh, I can trust this person. I can be in relationship with this person. This is someone I can share my heart with. A person calls you on your birthday every year. You're like, well, that's really nice. They say affirming things to you. They will uh, say, hey, it's your, I know it's your birthday today, and I just wanted to let you know what a blessing you've been to me and how awesome our relationship has been for, for me and my, and my growth. You have this bit of evidence that happens. They point out your strengths. And you say, oh, that's really nice. They point out my strengths. And, uh, and that's really awesome. And here's the big one. They're willing to help you paint your house. <laughs> Painting a house is a thankless activity. Like hey, I'm going to have a painting party. I want to have people come over to paint. Painting is terrible. No one likes to paint. That's a pretty big piece of evidence of who, who that kind of person is. They're willing to come over and paint your house. I have something really heavy that I need to move into my basement. Can, can anyone come over and help? This person shows up. You're like, wow, this person's really, really interesting. I think, I think I'm beginning to come to know who they are. They bring over meals when they hear that you're sick or overwhelmed with life as many of us uh, have been. Sometimes, kindness or genuine kindness in a person is a ham. Three, about three, four years ago, Jackie and I were struggling to kind of both pay rent and buy groceries, and some friends of ours brought over groceries for us. Most notably from those groceries was this ham, this big ham. And we ate the ham for breakfast, we ate the ham for lunch. We ate the ham for dinner. It was like the Hanukkah oil in the lamp. It never ran out. It was, <laughs> it was like the bit of, you know, uh, oil from, from the widow in the, in the Old Testament story that never ran out. 
that ham just kept going and going and going. And ham just stays good for a long time, too. So ham all the time. Kindness is a ham. And I really knew that we had found some special people that we could trust with our love and relationship when someone drives from Voorheesville and drops a ham on your porch. That's pretty awesome. Delicious ham. Let's go a little deeper. Someone who, when you admit your deep failures to, they look at you and they love you. They look at you and they love you. Isn't that what we all want? They look at you and they see your self-condemnation and they say, I see what you're doing, but that's not who you really are. You might have done this thing, but I know who you are. I know who God's made you to be. They can see and they, and they lift you up out of that pit. I've had a couple experiences where I've shared some failures with, with, with some special people. They're special to me many, in many ways because of uh, how they responded. One of them is my wife, and uh, one of them was, was another friend who, who used to be part of this church but has moved. Having someone that you share that deep thing with, they don't look disgusted, they, don't, they aren't thinking you're a terrible person, but they, they affirm you, they help you to move past it. What a blessing that is. Uh, another bit of evidence, you, you have a, a death in the family and, and someone comes to the funeral who you didn't expect. They're there with you when you're grieving. We all look at, in relationships, we look at the data, and then from those little individual pieces of data, we might not be able to tell everything about a person from one thing. But over, overall, as we evaluate in our minds, even subconsciously, all these things we say, that's a kind person. That's a good person. That's a person who has my best interest in mind. That's a person who loves me. So that's my list on ways that we come to see what a person is made of. We look at the evidence, we add it together, and we make a determination. Here's another list from Psalm 103. God forgives all of your sins. You see what I'm doing here? God forgives your sins. And we see this on every page of the Bible, this truth, not just in Psalm 103. God redeems our lives from the pit, it says. Whenever I think of God redeeming my life from a pit, I think of something that I've dug and climbed into voluntarily that I then cannot get out of. That's the kind of pit that I'm familiar with. God redeems our lives from the pit that we've dug. We deserve to be in the pit. What kind of God is God? Well, some of the evidence we're evaluating is he redeems us from the pit. He takes our darkness as David said of God in Second uh, Samuel, I believe, the Lord is my lamp. He turns my darkness into light. Something we could not do for ourselves. God crowns us with love and compassion. All of this in the same breath in Psalm 103. He forgives all of our sins, redeems our life from the pit, and crowns us with love and compassion. So not only are we pulled out of the pit, he crowns us with love and compassion. What kind of God do we serve? God satisfies our desires with good things. Like a good shepherd, he leads us beside still water, restores our soul. He leads us to good things, satisfies our desires with good things. And it says, so that our youth is renewed like the eagles. God works justice for all oppressed people. That's who God is. God looks at when people have been unjustly treated. He sees those things. He works justice and righteousness. God is compassionate 
and gracious. God is slow to anger. Think about when you've shared something deep and dark or something that was very painful to you internally with someone, and then their response was not disgust, but love, like I described earlier. Imagine that times a thousand. God is compassionate and gracious. And how we come to God determines our reception by God. If we come to him saying, hey, you know, I'm good. I'm not a sinner. I don't have any need of repentance or anything. I'm good. There's nothing he can do with you. <laughs> but for the person who, uh, who, who comes to the end of themselves, he celebrates over that lost sheep. He goes where he's wanted. He's slow to anger. God is abounding in love. I think that language kind of fails us when talking about the love of God. God is abounding in love. God does not treat us as our sins or our offenses against him deserve. This is, this is deep stuff. All from Psalm 103, but again, this is through the whole Bible. You can see this stuff. Every page. God does not repay us according to the bad things we've done. He does not repay us according to our iniquities. He doesn't repay us. He doesn't treat us as we deserve to be treated. He treats us far better than we deserve to be treated. As far as the east is from the west, that's how far God has removed our sin from us. We talked about this in VBS teaching time this week. This is good, good teaching for children and adults alike. How far is the east from the west? It's unmeasurable. It's eternal. And when God forgives our sins, he treats us as if we never sinned. He trusts us again. We had a kid named Easton in BBS. We had a kid named Weston. And me and Chris were very sad that we didn't have those two kids in the same cohort because we would have used them as an object lesson. But, you know, that would have probably failed because we could see the distance between them. Well, that's how much God has separated our sin from us. But no, God's, God's separation of sin from us is eternal. Uh, when we come to him, and God came to earth to seek and save us. That is, if you put yourself in the category of sinner, which I recommend you do. Because it's just the way it is. We're all, we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and are justified freely by God's grace. We're not proud, smug people who are judging others and saying, why is Jesus hanging out with those people? No. We are the people that Jesus came for. The sick need a doctor, not the healthy. That's who Jesus came for. How we come to God, this is what I'm trying to say, will determine our reception by God. How we come to God will determine whether we receive from him or whether we just don't need him. But we need him. We all need him. So here's our list. What I'm going to say about God today, based on all of this evidence, is that God is good. God is fundamentally, in his very nature, good and kind. This is an idea that we need to accept as being unshakable truth about who God is. If we do not believe that God is good, if we do not believe that God is kind, everything kind of falls apart for us. We can't receive from God if he is aloof, if he is distant from us. We must receive this truth that God is good with the same kind of vigor that we affirm that Jesus died for our sins. God is good. God is good to us. God created us because God is good.
he's good in and of himself. He just decided, it's my good pleasure to create people. And he created the world and human beings. God forgives our sins because God is good, not because we've earned it, but because essentially God is good in and of himself. He's just good. He forgives our sins because he's good. Listen to this. God hears and answers prayers because God is good. It's not because your prayer is impressive. It's not because you've earned it. It's not because you're a special type of person that God answers your prayers. God answers your prayers because it's God's nature to be good towards his children. Good and kind. God redeemed us from the pit because he is good. God will forgive any sin we come to him with sincerely because God is good. God will take back anyone who's wandered away, no matter how far they've wandered or how long it's been, because God is good. I love this definition of God's goodness uh, from A.W. Tozer. I'm drawing from him a lot today. And in the series quite a bit as well. It's just great, great stuff. Here's a definition of the goodness of God. The goodness of God is that which disposes him to be kind, cordial, benevolent, and full of goodwill towards men and women. He is tender-hearted and of quick sympathy. And his unfailing attitude towards all moral beings is open, frank, and friendly. By his nature, he is inclined to bestow blessedness, and he takes holy pleasure in the happiness of his people. Isn't that a beautiful statement? By God's very nature, he's inclined to bestow blessedness, and he takes pleasure in the happiness of his people. This is who God is in and of himself. Faith from us does not elicit God's goodness. Prayer from us does not elicit God's goodness. God is good. And actually, if we are to have faith at all, our faith needs to be in the goodness of the God that we are serving and following. Our faith needs to be in his goodness. That's the starting point of our faith. God's goodness doesn't change either. It always has been. It always will be. It doesn't get greater or less over time. It's constant. It's who he is. God is good. Another quote from Tozer. He says, The whole outlook of mankind might be changed if we could all believe that we dwell under a friendly sky and that the God of heaven, though exalted in power and majesty, is eager to be friends with us. But sin has made us timid and self-conscious as well it might. Years of rebellion against God have bred in us a fear that cannot be overcome in a day. The captured rebel does not enter willingly the presence of the king he has so long fought unsuccessfully to overthrow. But if he is truly penitent, if he's single-hearted when he comes to God, he may come trusting only in the loving kindness of his Lord, and the past will not be held against him. We must remember that when we return to God, even if our sins were as great in number as all of mankind's put together, still God would not count them against us, but would have as much confidence in us as if we have never sinned. Something that I've been, um, that really stuck with me from my seminary days, my Hebrew professor shared about Hebrew words that are true only of God, God and God alone. And so when they're used in the Bible, it's only a word that God can do. The word for forgiveness from God is salach. And I've told you this before. It means forgive and essentially almost like forgetting. Though God knows all things and remembers all things, God is the only being in, in, in the world, in the universe, 
who can actually treat us as if we had never sinned and have as much confidence in us. We don't have to claw our way out of a pit to gain God's trust and God's love. God, by his very nature, when we come to him in sincerity, forgives us, restores us fully, and treats us with as much confidence as if we'd never sinned. It's amazing. The goodness, the love of God, the tenderheartedness of God. We're going to finish uh, our reflection on the goodness of God, reading the final section of Luke 15. Luke 15, 11. Jesus continued. Remember now, he's, he's still rebuttaling the, the Pharisees' accusation that he eats with tax collectors and sinners. Jesus continued. There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So his father divided his property between them. Now, when someone asks for their share of the estate, what are they saying to that person both now and when this was written? They're saying, give us the money that we'd have if you were dead. Without regard to the father might need that money. <laughs> um, You're as good as dead to us. Give us the money. That's, what, that's the attitude here. And the father actually goes along with it. He divides his property between the two sons. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in the whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country, who sent him to his field to feed the pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his sentences, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? Here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. He's got the speech memorized. He's working on it down the road. Uh, What was it? Um, um, Make me like one of your servants. I'm not worthy to be called your son. I realize that you can't receive me in the same way we, did, we, we had that relationship before. Make me like one of your hired men. Just give me some food. For, that's what I need. So while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father interrupted him. He said, Quick, to his servants, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. He crowned him with love and compassion and redeemed his life from the pit. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother's come, he replied, and your father's killed the fattened calf because he was, he's back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you. I never disobeyed your orders, yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, who has squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him? My son, the father said, you are always with me, and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad, because this brother of yours was dead 
and is alive again. He was lost and is found. God is kind. God is good. This is a story about God. In response to the Pharisees saying, you're eating with tax collectors and sinners, Jesus, who is God, says, look, God celebrates when a person comes to him. When a person comes to him in need, God celebrates. God redeems that person. You should be excited with me. In fact, you're missing out on the party. That's what he's saying to the Pharisees. You're the older son. You're standing there saying, what are you doing? I've been, so, I've been so good. I've been so religious. And you've never done anything for me. The older son was convinced that he'd earned somehow the right to have a party from his father. I've, I've been so good. I've been so faithful. I've been so obedient. I deserve a party. Where's my party? And Jesus says to these Pharisees, God's goodness is not dependent upon you being this perfect son who obeyed all the orders perfectly. It's dependent on your heart's attitude. Will you come to the Father? And you can come to the party as well as the younger son, but you have to accept, I cause my reign to fall on the righteous and the unrighteous. I cause my son to rise and set on the righteous and the wicked. I am good all the time. That's who God is. I just want us to reflect on God's essential goodness who he is. And I just want you to know, he's approachable. You can come to God, no matter how far away you've been. How we come to him determines our reception by him. You can't earn it. You can't make it happen. God does it because God is good. God is good. These days, the older son is not necessarily um, a religious type of person. But the older son can be just someone who's living life without God and is perfectly happy to do so. But the call from Scripture, from our good God, is that all are in need of him. <laughs> we all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And uh, maybe we've never thought about it before, our need for God. But we have, we have a problem that we cannot solve um, that's keeping us from a relationship with God. Whether you're a religious person, like the Pharisees in the story, or just someone who's thinks God is not for me. Uh, I'm good without God. I do not need God. The Lord invites us all into this party. He says, humble yourself. Become the kind of person that can receive from me because I'm always giving. I'm a good God. I'm a kind God. It's so striking to me, the, the parable of the sower. You know, the sower plants seeds and it falls on all different kinds of soil, rocky soil, hard soil, um, sidewalks where the birds come and eat the, the seed off the sidewalk. The thing that strikes me about that parable is the sower. God just throws seed on everything. That's his disposition. He's so good. He knows some people are so hard-hearted and so self-sufficient and, so, and feel that they're so righteous and pious they don't need him. He knows the seed's not going to take on them. He throws seed on them anyway. <laughs> and it bounces off and the birds eat it. But what if we softened our hearts towards God? What if we presented ourselves to him and said, Lord, I need you. I want to have, have a relationship with you. I want to walk with you. What if we changed our heart? It's never a question of God's supply, but only of our attitude and disposition when we come to him. He's always good all the time. And how we come to him determines our reception by him. It determines everything about whether we will receive from him or whether we will keep him at arm's length. But he's after us. 
like the widow with the coin, like the shepherd with the sheep, like the father and the son waiting on the porch. While we are still a long way off, he is hoping that we will come. Not because he needs us, because he is self-sufficient, but because he wants us. He loves us. He wants to be, us to be in the party with him. He wants that fellowship with us. He desires it. He desires it so much he sent his son to make a way for us to come to him. Heavenly Father, we lift up uh, this time that we've had together, and we just say you are good. You are good all the time. And uh, help us to have softer hearts towards you in the coming days. Help us to be the kind of people that have that soft um, soil that's rototilled up, uh, that has the nutrients in it, that can, that can receive from you, uh, where you can grow things in our lives that you want to grow, and we can walk with you and not be alone, not be self-sufficient alone uh, in this world. Um, we come right to you, God, through Jesus. Thank you for making a way for us to come into relationship with you by yourself coming to the earth and paying the price for our sins on the cross so that anyone who looks to you can be saved. And we, we receive that afresh. We receive that grace. We receive that mercy. And we draw near to you with hearts full of faith. And we, we have the thought in mind today, you are kind. How will we be received by you? The answer is, with compassion, with love, with kindness, because you are a loving, kind, and compassionate God. So we come to you, and we pray that you transform us by your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen.